Hello and welcome to Is This Anime? I'm your anime expert, Jack Metcalf. And I'm the guy who knows nothing about anime, Malcolm Cloud. And joining us once again is uh, Robert Delilah. Robert, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Good. I mean, it's not that bad heat-wise here. And this is also, uh, most importantly, <laughs> our, our episode with the shortest turnaround. We're recording probably 12 hours before it's going to go to go live. <laughs> My condolences for that one there, Jack. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, we're doing the uh, yeah the old uh, uh, JRE uh, turnaround time, it feels like. It feels like you get some of those ones, like the conversation podcasts, where they all of a sudden are just like, oh, we're, uh, you know, we recorded six hours before it goes up. Oh, yeah. Now it's just going up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and yeah, let's just jump right into it. No history segment this time. We are talking about Berserk 1997, uh, episodes 7 to 12. Um, last last uh, time we were talking about Berserk, I had explained the confusion of all the many adaptations of Berserk and how it's very uh, confusing to talk about this series because there's Berserk 97, Berserk the manga, uh, Berserk the uh, the 3D movie trilogy, Berserk 2016. And uh, it is now, <laughs> guess what? It's now been announced. It's going to get even more fucking confusing because Berserk the movie trilogy is uh, going to be split into a TV adaptation, but with additional footage. So, oh, Jesus, <laughs> I've always felt sorry for this series because it has the worst adaptations of any like popular series. And and I, as as it, unfortunately, even if it's the best one, this one, 1997, it's still awful. It's going to come straight in with a hot take. All right, you're coming in with a hot take. I, I really enjoyed the first six episodes we covered, and then I'm reading the, because I'm also doing a manga reread with this. And um, yeah, this was, this was a tough week, too, even for me, especially the first three episodes. Um, let's okay. just get right in. No, because I was also like, is it me or are these like first batch of episodes like or like not first batch, but like of like like six through I'd say six through ten. I was, I was like, it's kind of like nothing kind of happens. Like, no, six. Sort of like, oh, six, yeah. Six was the good one. Six had. Oh, no, sorry. Seven, I mean, seven through ten. Seven. Through yeah. Seven through um, ten. Uh, it's it's half filler. <laughs> it's that's just a reality. If you, if you were like Jack reading it with the manga side by side. It's just it's just filler. It's uh, I think in particular episode eight, the one where episode eight the, is pure filler. Yeah, it's is pure, pure filler. pure filler. It's that fort attack or that fort siege never happened in the manga, and yeah. it really serves no purpose. It really doesn't. Um, I guess maybe. So I'm going to refer to this character as Doctor Eggman because he is uh, voiced by the longtime uh, actor of Doctor Eggman in the uh, the American dub. Oh, um, <laughs> the, gen- the general character, the general character who's kind of, you know, the head of that fort. His um, name is Adon. Adon? Oh, but we also have Adonis. Adonis uh, is also a character in these same episodes. Because there's, what is it, Adon Corbel Wits? Yes. Uh, and, then, and then there's Adonis, and you're like, oh, great. The, the Korbowitz, that's the guy, at least in the, uh, yeah, the, the one that they made, like, a bunch of other lines from his one line in one of the mangas, just like, the, the, the move that's been passed down in the, my family for hundreds of years, it's that one. <laughs> it's it's yeah. that guy. I'm, I'm yeah, glad. He's, he's the guy with the flat top haircut. Yes. Like, which is a haircut that is rough to pull off, but I also appreciate that that was the character choice here. 
It was like, I want it as flat. Like you don't see that very, you know, anymore. You don't see, there's like the one guy from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine um, who plays uh, Scully. Scully, he's, Scully. He's got yeah, it. And then no one else. <laughs> <laughs> so are you saying Scully should play a Dawn in the Netflix live action adaptation Abs- of this? 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> Please tell me they're not yeah. doing a Netflix adaptation of, of Berserk. No, I mean, I kind of argued that it was possible to do because I think, I mean, given what we've seen Netflix pull off, I don't think anything in Berserk uh, requires anything more than say what The Witcher does. I think it's certainly possible. Would it be good? That's another question. That's true. (laughs) I mean, kind of jumping off that same sort of realistic fantasy, dark fantasy kind of back, that Game of Thrones sort of road. And apparently the new episode of, since we have such a quick turnaround, I can date this uh, podcast. The, uh, the, what am I saying? The new Game of Thrones show is apparently good, which I did not expect. The House of the Dragon apparently is good. I'll I'll watch it after this podcast uh, is recorded. <laughs> You'll be too busy editing. <laughs> too yeah. busy editing. Um, yeah, well, so yeah, we've got House of the Dragon. And then I'm really curious, as a side note, um, yeah, it's all the same. It's we're talking about the same genre as uh, if the Lord of the Rings show, which comes out in like two weeks, uh, if that's going to like, so- if it's going to suffer from the fact that it's coming out during the like the new Game of Thrones. Uh, I feel or, like or the, people... or the Lord of the Rings is going to like usurp it. <laughs> or if they're just gonna like kind of play on these parallel paths? Because I was like, why, why release this Lord of the Rings show in September? Release it like in like October, November once House of the Dragon is done. I'm it's- gonna say this right now, Malcolm. Before uh, somebody comes at you with a knife, as someone who you are not a big fantasy guy, if someone who was very much a fantasy guy heard you compare uh, Game of Thrones with Lord of the Rings, they would they would probably come at you with a knife. Well, if they come <laughs> up, uh, uh, well, it, listen, it'd be a very short knife uh, because uh, Lord of the Rings fans are uh, uh, little shorties. Uh, they're they're, they're hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get you with Sting. Yeah, they're going to they're going to they're going to give you a paper cut. That's how strong they are. Oh, no, the <laughs> ring. Ah. Oh god, I gotta get through this mountain with this ring. Uh, <laughs> it's a volcano, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't oh I guess oh man, I can't climb up this hill. There's a war going on. I guess I'll sit on the cliff and watch. <laughs> All right. I okay, okay. This is this is me trying to get us uh, back on track. Let's actually talk about how this episode <laughs> yeah. uh, let's talk about how this episode opens up because yeah, like like we already kind of jumped ahead. Uh, episode eight is not good. Episode eight is uh, where you you can honestly just fucking skip it. Nothing yeah, happens. We, not, we don't have to talk about episode eight, but episode yeah. seven things happen. Things yeah. happen. Things do. It's the it's the uh, post mortem with uh, Nosferatu Zod. Um, Casca is not too happy um, with guts. She you know she she's fangirling over Griffith and how um, you know Griffith could have been killed. Um, Griffith and guts have a little conversation about what what the deal with uh, Zod was. Um, what is it? Uh, Griffith and Guts basically debate, you know, it could have been a devil or or a god. And then they, yeah, what's the difference at that point? 
What's the which, difference? Which then harkens back to the point about the, the was it the Behelet? The fact that like, you know, Griffith is holding this thing as if it's like, you know, oh, this is a amulet of good fortune and everything like that. When, you know, later in the series, you might find out that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're, you know, foreshadowing, dun, dun, dun. I mean, Zod and, himself, yeah. he already gave this prophecy where he's basically like, guts, yo, uh, maybe you shouldn't want to mess with this Griffith guy. Well, I mean, it, I, it wasn't even really so much as a warning as more of just, yeah, it was a prophecy that's like, you know, but then there's also the the the, the conversation about, uh, you know, if you're a true friend of Griffith is what you're going to get hurt. But I feel like everyone's getting hurt by Griffith. And that's that's a that's a broader thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything more about episode seven? We get the we get the uh, so there's this whole little plot. Um, revolving around this guy who gets way too much. Uh, again, it's funny what the anime prioritizes, considering what it's going to be cutting in the next couple batches of episodes. Because uh, Malcolm, for reference, um, the material we're covering is basically like chapters six through sixteen of the manga, and 18. then eighteen. Oh, correction. Oh, I, oh, I stand yeah. correct. I stand Ooh. corrected. <laughs> but, um, the first half of chapter eighteen. But yeah, we're, my research. <laughs> yeah, good man. Um, but yeah, so this is you know we're going up to episode twelve of the series. This is a twenty-five episode series. Malcolm, do you do you want to make a guess of uh, what episode, what chapter, episode twenty-five will end with? Uh, so uh, episode twenty-five of like. Of this uh, show, uh, like if the, if well, we're how much they adapted of the manga, how many chapters left? Basically, let, let me just phrase it even better. How many chapters left? If if we are halfway through the series, how many chapters are left if this ends on chapter eighteen? I would assume that we have uh, we're like only finished like chapter like four at this point. <laughs> We we have about seventy chapters left, despite being halfway through the show. <laughs> oh my god! And they have um, the audacity to put filler episodes in it. Exactly, exactly. That's bullshit. Like this is what I was saying. Every single adaptation of of Kentaro Moro's Berserk is awful. It is they're all terrible, and they are paced weirdly. The animation, especially in this one, is incredibly low budget. And if it's not low budget, and it's weird. 3D animation and it's terrible. My favorite is uh, is one of the things as I've been watching these episodes because these all these episodes are on YouTube and they've been on YouTube since 2019. So that just goes to show like how much they care about the license. Uh, so I don't feel I don't feel bad. Like if this is one of those things where it's like it was uploaded a week ago and then we you know you want to be a little more secretive. At this point, I'm like screw it. This it's you know yeah they don't uh, care. But my favorite is people pointing out like the inconsistencies. Like one was like, uh, like the fort is literally surrounded by uh, like a forest, and then it's like the general is just like, "There are no trees here," (laughs) you know, like trees for miles around. There's just river. Yeah, like like, no, they're like this bridge. You know, it's too narrow. There's not enough room for soldiers. We can only have like one to two soldiers, and it's like. Next shot, it shows like four plus soldiers like on the bridge. Oh like, yeah, four horses shoulder to shoulder could stand on that bridge. There was definitely some disconnect between the animation department and the voice acting department. 
So anyways, yeah. um, as as far as major characters in this little arc go, we have Urius. Uh, Urius and a guy who I'm going to call Egghead. I mean, Robert, you probably know the character name His better. His name the- is Foss. Foss. I like Advisor Egghead more. Advisor Foss. Advisor Foss. Malcolm, Egghead is a better name, right? I do I do like Egghead as a name. I think that's like, it's way more anime-y. I feel like it's just like, everyone has like real names and it's like, who are you? I'm Egghead. And you're like, all right. Okay. <laughs> you know, you just know, it's like how we like, were teenagers from the 50s making fun of kids with glasses or anything like that. No, no. I mean, Egghead is named Egghead because of like, um, because they, uh, they they have uh, Humpty Dumpty syndrome. Uh, right. <laughs> he looks a bit. He does look a bit like the Behlet. Yeah. Well, yeah. at the end, you actually no. He doesn't look like it now. <laughs> he looks like it's later. Um, spoilers. He, he is the least. But this guy, uh, Advisor Foss, whatever you want to call him, he is the least trustworthy person to ever exist. I mean, yeah, he's your he's your standard uh, medieval advisor talking in in uh, riddles about assassinations and poisoned arrows and such. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's he's conspiring with Urius. Urius really doesn't like the fact that you know Griffith is is intruding on his territory. So um, Urius conspires to kind of have um, so- someone assassinate Griffith. And uh, coincidences of coincidences, it hits the bailet, which Griffith is just like, oh. What a lovely coincidence, Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh we also get a bit a bit to do with the king. Uh we're going to see more of the king in uh the next batch of episodes. Um and you know, he he's somewhat reasonable in in these episodes, but later on we're going to get to see a, a side of him uh much much worse. We yeah. do um I mean kind of on that that kind of vein we we do see how stupid urius or julius depending on what translation you're using is in his assassination and then like well we'll talk more about that but but uh, go on go on so is no, that I, it with episode seven yeah that's it with episode seven and episode eight is a fucking nothing episode i was already ready to move into um episode nine. the yeah, the, the the attempted assassination on Griffith. Uh, uh, that's right. That's right. Uh, oh, I I should know as as kind of like uh, not really an aside. It's sort of important that uh, Urius Julius is the king's brother. Oh shit! Oh duh! Yeah, she Charlie even mentions him as uh, that she's his uncle. Of course. Yeah, he is next in line for the throne unless, you know, Charlotte has an heir. And obviously, that plays much much further into uh, the maga, but. For now, for these episodes, it doesn't matter too much. It's again the pacing. The pacing really is quite bad until until about episodes eleven and twelve. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I this is this is this is a troubling uh, thing. It's even my notes are like so limited for the first four. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, how much did they actually cover from the very I mean, beginning of the manga in the first four? Because I know that's like la- so last the- week. Well, even even like last week when we were talking about, there was an episode featuring um, I already forgot his name. I know you fucking said it. Um, the the flat top general. The flat top general again has this whole filler arc because he gets some stuff. Yeah, Don. He gets like an episode in like episode five, which I had commented on that was also very fillery. So then, thankfully, we moved on to the Zod episode, which was fantastic. I know, I know, guys. This is this this, this is a rough <laughs> week. What can I say? Um, do we do we want to just move around and talk positively, which is the Casca stuff? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. 
positively is uh i mean there's definitely a lot we could talk about in terms of that (laughs) (laughs) it's it's the stuff that's handled the best I, i don't know if you got anything more to chime in uh malcolm although episode 10 does have um you know the death of urius and also his son where you know guts fucks up pretty badly Oh yeah, that's a good character moment. That is one of the. That's. I mean, obviously, that's. It's pretty much shot for shot from the manga, so it's good. Yeah, I mean, I guess obviously, I never read the manga. Um, uh, but certainly, in terms of pacing, surprise. But certainly, in terms of pacing, Malcolm, that episode is far better than than the first half of what we were covering. Oh, absolutely! Like it started picking up near the end, where I was just like, "Oh, this is intriguing." I think the last uh, two episodes, in particular are really mm-hmm. interesting. It was just like, there was a bit of this like drag. Where I was just oh, yeah. like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like I was, yeah. it was very easy to get onto like my phone or to like, you know, you know check my text, check my Instagram uh, as you know, I'm kind of watching this uh, sort of do lately. your traditional doom scrolling and, and, you know, kind of burn through the awkwardness of whatever's on screen. Mm. Yeah. So, so basically, Griffith has told uh, Guts to go kill Urius, and uh, you know, uh, Guts is perfectly fine with murder. Guts, Guts is all in on Griffith's dream at this point. Um, but then Guts fucks up. He ends up killing Urius's son Adonis, and that's a pretty brutal moment. Oh yeah, I the post everything or post in the dream after he escapes, he's shot by an arrow in his arm. Oh, I guess we should just kind of preface that. Uh, the assassination on Griffith failed. He pretty much knows that it was Urius because Urius is dumb as all hell. <laughs> yes. And he was, and obviously I think he's partially, I can't remember if he's actually, or just uh, partially in, implicated by Foss, but I'm not hundred percent. Basically Foss is suggested to do this. Urius is just like, Hey, that's a great idea. I'm going to do it that, but stupider. <laughs> and so, and Griffith's uh, then talk, they Griffith summons um, Guts afterwards and be like, hey, I need you to kill someone. And Guts is like, hell yeah, let's do it. And Guts, traditionally not the best assassin in the world, but great killer, uh, goes and infiltrates Urius' estate, has this sort of character moment, kind of flashback with, um, well, that's kind of, actually, no, that's in the dreamscape, isn't it? Where he sees himself in adonis he sees adonis practicing with his father urius because urius has a lot of high expectations for his son and so guts thinks about his uh relationship with his adopted father gambino and then that goes on so then eventually the day goes on or the night goes on uh guts is able to assassinate uh urius but not without uh, Adonis catching him in the act and guts kind of moving without thinking kills Adonis. And he's, you can tell he's like immediately grief stricken. And so he sort of, he loses his head. He's, he's kind of running from the guards, killing everyone, trying his best to hide his identity. Eventually he's able to slip into his sewer grate, but as he falls into the sewer, he hits his head and passes out in the water. And then we have the dream sequence where at once he is seeing himself as Adonis with his father, as well as seeing himself as a demon and as Zod. He ends up, we have a, this nice imagery that was in the manga with uh, uh, Guts having, or uh, Zod, you know, with the horns and everything, but his face is Guts. 
kind of, you know, recognizing Gut's guilt in doing that and is also just his general trauma from childhood. Guts is a very complicated character. <laughs> he sure is. Um, yeah, Robert, I couldn't have said that better myself, which is why I was happy for you to come on here. <laughs> I, okay. Berserk is a really important thing to me, I guess is the way to put it. It's, it is as fucking horrific at times as it is, as, as also problematic as, at times it is. And I'm sure we're going to get more into that with uh, talking more about the Casca situation. Uh, it's still an incredible piece of like actual literature. I consider it literature. And and that's that's a little hard to come by, especially in sort of nineties, eighties, uh, and nineties uh, <laughs> Japanese manga and anime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely, and that's and that's the funny thing because we are covering a, a flawed adaptation. Although, um, e- even though you use the word awful, I I hesitate to say it because you know I did watch the movie trilogy before this. I did consider. Uh, substituting the movie trilogy, but the movie trilogy is like incoherent with what it cuts out. <laughs> I, I, okay. Well, to anyone listening to this, read the manga. You yeah, just it's have a great appreciation for it as a series. The animes, seriously, it just they don't they don't do it justice, and it, it gets worse over time. The fact that this is the best adaptation of it, and granted, it's an adaptation of a really good thing. It still sucks, and <laughs> it's really sad. Especially some some people don't read manga. They only watch anime, and that's only what they're really comfortable with. So the fact that this this series has been done such a disservice in that way is really sad. Um, so let, let's talk Griffith's little speech to uh, Charlotte that, uh, that Guts witnesses. And this is what kind of shocks Guts. Um, I wrote it down. He tells Charlotte, a true friend never relies on another's dream. The man who would be my friend would have his own reason for living beyond me. And he should put his heart and soul into protecting his dream. He should never hesitate to, to defend it, even against me. For me to call a man my friend, he must be equal in all respects. And then Gut's face pretty much goes dead hearing that. I mean, everything he's done since you know they met three years ago was for Griffith's approval. And then hearing that, you know, he knows now he's never going to get it. And yeah. so it, it, we we start to see the rift form uh, solidify, I guess I should rather say, between Guts and Griffith, as well as uh, he starts uh, Guts starts getting closer to Casca and you know, and, they, and, their, and their relationship going forward, which yeah. is also a really great one. Yeah, I mean, Malcolm, were you struck by any of this in uh, episode ten? Or I was, yeah. Like, I mean, I think. You know, I think it's, yeah, that uh, dawning realization for Guts that it's like, yeah, what he's been working towards, I guess, you know, he's never going to get. Well, it's kind of, you know, interesting because I guess, you know, there's an element with like, especially, you know, knowing that this was made in the 90s, uh, that like, you know, the stoic sort of hero is such a, you know, archetype in these kinds of stories. So to see him actually have some emotion to actually have to deal with like the fallout of like his mistakes you know, made it, it's a little more compelling. Like this is, again, this is like the first episode of like these last three where I started being like, okay, I'm interested <laughs> in like how this is playing out now. Cause there was a period of time where I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I don't have, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and Guts is notoriously awful at being a stoic protagonist. Cause anytime he plays at stoicism, it's just an advent for trauma. 
Yay. <laughs> I mean, that's why that's why I love about Guts as a character, though, because he is this character who, you know, maybe when you first uh, watch this series or read the manga, you think, OK, he's your standard, you know, man with no name character. But yeah, he, he is terrible at being stoic. He's absolutely an incredibly emotional uh, character. Anytime he, yeah. he, he, in the very, you know, in the very first episode, or I guess in the very outset of the manga where he is, where we see him as the black swordsman, he's just, yeah, he's just awful at it. He's, he, he, he can pretend all he wants that he hates the world and everything like that, but he can't help caring. And that's uh, like, like you said, like, like Malcolm said, he's a really, for the nineties, for the, the stoic pro tag to be everything and, you know, everything of uh, basically digestible. And even in Kintaro Moro's like main inspirations, like, you know, fist of the North star that he's accredited for, you know, his being one of his main inspirations for guts that that's a stoic protagonist, but he's gone above and beyond there. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's an interesting thing of just like, you know, the, first of all, like, I like the I you know playing with uh, sort of the idea of like blind allegiance and like how that's I, is a pretty terrible like thing to play with. Like the gamble of it makes no sense. Like there's so many times I think you see this in more like you know you see this in fa- you know fascist dictatorships of like people ex- are demanding like this blind loyalty of like don't think about what you're doing, just do it because you want to impress me, the guy who's telling you to do it. Um, and like, like the, di- the dichotomy of this episode of watching, um, you know, sort of, you know, guts, you know, having sh- stabbed the kid, he's in the sewers, like, or in the catacombs or wherever the hell he's, he's like, you know, down at the bottom. And then you kind of like keep cutting to Griffith, who's like chatting up the princess. Um, the soiree. Like, yeah. The soiree. It's like, up, uh, it's everything's nice and bright. He's having a good time. He's socializing. If I'm not mistaken, this is the episode where he like basically everything comes out and he's like taking credit for a bunch of things he clearly didn't do. You know, I like that, you know, playing with those uh those contrasting elements. The, the dichotomy there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause like, you know, again, it would have been very easy just to have a whole episode of like, you know, of you know, guts in the sewers, but it's nice to see like, oh, like as he's coming to terms with the fact that like he's not exactly who he thought he was to Griffith. Uh, uh-huh. you know, you're seeing he how wants Griffith to be his truly equal. doesn't give a shit about guts or any of the people in his army. He's it's not even it that power. he doesn't give a shit. He's just completely able and, and willing to sacrifice everybody for his dream. Like the mountain of corpses to the castle. I don't know if there's, if they've actually seen that imagery yet in the anime, but that is such a very, I think that's later on. That's such a, a striking imagery that is like, you know, a depth, you know, it's the, it's what Griffith's dream entails building a mound of corpses until the, this lofty castle that he has dreamed about since he was a child. The, um, I was going to say, yeah, I, you had said, yeah, this is a great dichotomy. This is a great moment. I was going to joke. Uh, oh wait. So you don't want, 10 minutes of guts fighting people in the sewer. <laughs> you don't want another horribly paced half episode. How dare you, Malka? How dare you want quality content? <laughs> um, I'm all about quality, man. I, I, you know. That's the thing. And it is funny. I mean, Malcolm, I, I, I am like smiling when I'm hearing you say this. Cause I'm like, okay, Malcolm is getting it. Malcolm is getting it. And, and I mean, 
I know, Robert, you, you, you've used the word awful to describe this, but I think I, I don't want to hype up next week too much, but next week is like probably my favorite batch of episodes that we will cover. Oh yeah, the 100 of, man arc is great. Because of the payoff and what's going to happen, you know, there is payoff to what Griffith says and stuff like that. I think it is my favorite uh, run of what we're going to do, so that's my tease. But anyways, let's move on. Um, to, to the little Casca and Griffith backstory we get, and uh, it's brutal. It really oh, yeah. is. It's oh. fucked up. We, this uh, one, this one was the episode that I was like, all right, I'm starting to get the hype that like Jack has been building on this uh, for this show because there was there was a period again where I was like, what's happening? Why am I? Why are we doing this? And then no, and he, and even me too, man. You know, it, it's like me with the uh, we had the week two of Cowboy Bebop, which was stronger than this week. I will say that. Um, I will, yeah. Cow- Cowboy Bebop week two, which was the worst week of that show. What <laughs> you know, we've had two bad week twos. The Cowboy Bebop week two gets the edge, but it's still like my least favorite run of that episode. Do you know what I mean? So maybe yeah. this is just maybe that's just how it turns out for these twenty five episode shows, where where episodes six to twelve kind of you know are a little mid. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Seven I mean, to twelve, seven. To 12. Well. I know. Well, I'm I'm going off on wh- how many we did for Cowboy Bebop because we structured that differently. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. I'm, I'm, fair. I'm very glad we did not structure this in five week increments. I'm glad we're doing this in six because you know if if we were doing say six to ten, we wouldn't be talking about a ton. Oh uh, yeah, that would be. Oof. It would there <laughs> would have had some. It would have been a rougher discussion. Anyways, long story short, let's actually talk about the content. So yeah, we get the. Uh, both Casca and Griffith's backstories in uh, episodes 11 and 12. And um, yeah, we, we learned Casca's origin with Griffith. And, um, you know, any as anyone who's seen Game of Thrones, it's this is kind of what happens in this era. It involves, you know, not so good things. So Realistic, Casca- <laughs> historically accurate fantasy. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Um, Robert, do yeah. you want to do the honors? Oh, I can do it if you'd like me to. You're you're better with words and sometimes this sensitive material. For me, I just kind of ramble when I get uncomfortable with this shit. So. Uh, I mean, that's that's fair. Uh, okay, okay. No, they so, call Jack the Rambler. Oh yeah, <laughs> Lord, he's a rambling man. Yeah. Oh dear. Okay, so we have uh, kind of the one of the climactic battles that we've seen so far against the Tudor Empire or the Tudor Empire, depending on the translation. Uh, and the uh, Midland uh, Kingdom. So it's the the Band of the Hawker leading the vanguard, and uh, Casca, you see from the outset, is not feeling well. And uh, there, we'll get into more specifics. But in ultimately, they, she gets into a bout with Adon, the the commander of the Blue Elephant uh, Force, or not Blue Elephant, Blue Whale uh, Force, and. She is obviously off her game. She is losing and she's losing badly until uh, Guts comes to her rescue. He ends up dealing with uh, Adon handily, but not before uh, he is... uh, No, Casca falls off the cliff that they are on the precipice of. And he is then shot by Adon with a crossbow. And so Casca and Guts go flying into, uh, falling into the river until, and then Guts is having, is going, is having to swim with both of them in full armor to a cave. 
she's obviously sick and we find out that she is actually uh she's on her period which is uh an interesting choice to say the least and kind of to illustrate i think at least what Moira's is trying to do is illustrate the the male and female differences especially in the battlefield because it, you know it's quite easy to just you know treat any female character like they're a male character in those sorts of situations the, as you know as maybe it could have been touched a little bit more kindly upon but at the same time this is a dark fantasy or historical fantasy sort of uh thing and uh there he's more is not going to be so kind and so and we really we come to understand through their arguing well okay well they're having to huddle up because she's freezing she's sick she has a fever and they huddle naked in this kind of cave while hiding up from the forces that are pursuing mm-hmm. them. And then in the morning she wakes up and she's obviously furious. She's furious at guts and the way that she, she's being treated differently because she's a woman uh, heightened. I'm sure that, you know, Moira likes to think because of, you know, her menstrual issues, which is again, he's a Japanese man who is writing this in the nineties. It's not going to be the best. Um, no, you're gonna, yeah, you gotta. I think you gotta put the, you gotta respect the time period that this is made in. Like it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty ahead of the game. I like the curve for back in that period of time, but still, you're, you know, you yeah, to just still trying not to compare perfect. it to what's going on now. I think yeah, it's certainly know. better than Game of Thrones. I will say this. I think that is, well, maybe not uh, in the book. Uh, maybe I the think books so. maybe handle things better, but the show, the show d- handles not. No. <laughs> The show the did show. quite a poor quality in depicting most of the, the those kind sorts of sensitive issues, unfortunately. Um, um, like the show uh, or Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. Uh, Game of Thrones handles it handles it worse. The show, I mean, maybe yeah. not yeah. the books. Um, I do, I do love though. Again, because again, guts is a dude, bro. You gotta remember where, where you know he does notice that Casca is on her period, and he just says, you know, <laughs> must be hard being a woman. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just like, love it. It's, it's like, like such a oh dear. <laughs> oh, it's so dumb, but you know, it's endearingly dumb. He means well from it. Yeah, he can't not mean well because he's guts, and even if he's like you know an eight foot tall killing machine, he's still you know, quite a human and a flawed one at that. And he 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 knows, or at least you know, I don't know how much. I can't remember how much they covered of his like early childhood in the anime but yeah he is he knows what it's like to be a victim he knows what it's like to be powerless and kind of be at the whim of of inhuman or and very human forces i guess Mm. is the way to say that in a kind way um but then we go into uh after they're they're done with the spat casca is very still very resentful from to towards guts and we get into her backstory as well as her connection to Griffith. And we learn that Griffith is why she joined the uh, order of the Hawk uh, yeah. because, you know, she grew up in a very poor village. She had siblings and ultimately one day or sh- siblings that her parents couldn't feed. And so ultimately one day, a nobleman comes by and offers to give her a better life to, to essentially buy her to work at the castle. Obviously they're, they're poor, nearly starving peasants. They can't, they they can't kind of say no, even though as much as they, her father, she kind of realized that like, Oh, this is, 
something is wrong here, and which she finds out when the nobleman, while they're supposedly going back to his castle, he attempts to rape her. And it's it's a very dark scene. And we and it's definitely I like the way that it's maybe I like the way that it's not played up for anything sexy. Like she's a child. Like, yeah, there is nudity, but she's I feel like it's very explicit that she is a child. This is even I mean, it's no matter who scene to watch. Like, exactly. It's it is an incredibly like it, tough. There's scene no to watch. there's. Yeah, like no one's getting their uh Socks. No one, no one in their no, right no. mind is getting their jollies off to this. And exactly. if they are, exactly. I will find them. Yeah, you'll find them, and you'll kill them with a sword bigger than guts is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a too hefty, a, more like a slab or whatnot. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, the a sword monologue. so long and so big that when you carry it, it tips you over, and you're just kind of like on the ground. <laughs> uh, I mean, basically, a, like. A paper cutter like one of those office paper cutters i'm good that's what i'm gonna do oh. uh, <laughs> no but yeah it's extremely harrowing scene and luckily uh griffith comes to the rescue and he cuts off the nobleman's ear and gives her the choice to defend herself which i thought was a very poignant uh thing or the fact that uh he leaves the sword for her and you know and also the the murder slash killing of the nobleman is very is ambiguous enough. The fact that did she kill him or did he fall upon the sword is is one of those. It's I mean that's Oklahoma. It's it's that that moral grayness and that's I mean obviously he deserved it every single bit of it. But also she's just a kid and having to carry that weight around is something that uh, I feel like it was almost unburdened for her it, for it going about that way mm-hmm. and then we we learn about uh griffith and sort of like that he's building uh funds for the army and so at this point he's doing banditry against this noble uh and they take all the the all the possessions she begs to join and then that's basically that's where it goes she kind of uh, how would I say she kind of locks away any femininity that uh, she would otherwise have by joining the band of the Hawks. And I, that's also another poignant thing. Time goes on. More people are sacrificed to Griffith's dream that, you know, the, the, the dream, the lofty castle on the hill and then we get into another really tough scenes, two really tough scenes back to back with the rape. And then we deal with the, uh, I guess, in translations that I remember, it's the pederast lord. It's, it's a very wealthy nobleman who is yeah. sort of, I think in some translations, he's a duke. I can't remember exactly what he was in the anime even though I did watch it earlier today. And he's very wealthy, he's very influential, but that's not what makes him famous. What makes him famous, I guess, or infamous in this case, is that he is a pedophile. He keeps sort of slaves, uh, the ch- uh, children slaves, and it is an awful sort of thing. Casca talks about looking at these children and seeing everything nothing but fear in their eyes 
and the, they're just traumatic and and traumatized and scarred and everything in between and it's compounded again with the fact that later on she sees griffith on the balcony with this lord griffith uh, i mean i guess context he's not a, an old guy he's he's like i think 17 or 19 canonically by the point of this uh chapter slash episode oh i thought he was a little young or older but no he's he's still very young and he oh jesus and so we we learn that he spent uh, the morning afterwards casca can't go to sleep she's just wandering up and down this river till she finds griffith cleaning himself in the river and he learn and or they you know she learns he admits that he spent the night he allowed himself to be raped by this noble for money to help fund his dream and that the big um conflicted dichotomy that that he presents there is that what does he do does he allow more of his men to get murdered on the battlefield for more or less chump change of being a mercenary in those times or does he seduce one old man and get money that way and it's a it's and you can tell he's broken up she's broken up and he's so traumatized that he's literally clawing out marks in his arms and bleeding and it's 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 a little bit more dramatic in the uh, in the manga, but yeah, he's he's like tearing up his arms, and that's that's kind of and that's what we learn about the backstory between Casca and Griffith and their and their ongoing sort of relationship and her obvious love for him or bordering on obsession with yeah. him because it's it's you know ah oh, Jesus. And it goes yeah. on, and we find out that yeah, like, yeah like it's, she, it's like not even I, yeah. I don't know. If, yeah, it's like a romantic lover, a romantic obsession. It's just something like else. Um, yeah, he, he's like, basically like her hero. Yeah, it's like it's like idol worship. Like it's like, he's, he's been he's basically deified by the entire band of the Hawks, and we yeah. get another slap snapshot of that with the uh, the kid, the the ten year old who dies in the battlefield, who dies with a small toy soldier that's missing a leg and it's just like, Oh my God. Yeah. That was a, that was, that was a tough scene. Uh, and also, yeah, I, I kind of like cringe, not in a bad way. Um, but like, just like from like the, the blood, uh, like when he was like tearing his arms open in the water, mm-hmm. uh, just scratching until he like, it felt like he was going to scratch until he hit bone. Yeah. It's, 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 it's it's brutal. It's emotional. And it's, it's as like you say, you cringe a bit, but it's not a bad cringe. It's still just a very tough moment, emotional moment. And it's still it, like, I'm still to this day so surprised that something like this could have come out before I was born, basically before, well, the manga, at least it came out. I was like three when the anime came out, but before I was born, someone was going this in depth on these sorts of tough topics in a medium that, you know, even nowadays, especially back then, was considered for children. Well, and also, like I pointed out, this was animated by the studio that was doing Pokemon. (laughs) Exactly! It's the same sort of low-budget area, but it's still just like, it's so brutal! 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, you know, ju- just to point out again, the the main director of this series would would then just join the Pokemon train and just you know work on Milk storyboards for thousands of episodes, thousands of episodes and features. He was getting feature money too, so wow. it's just yeah, it, it's it, like it's easy to fall where the money is, uh, but it's also it's like yeah, I guess it's good to like that he had the, or she had the opportunity to go make this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And hey, listen, I, I would join the Pokemon train too. I'm sure the ratings for that were far better than this when it aired. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it's sort of I, I mean, I feel like that's a lot of like youth television, Old, uh, elder, uh, older people, I, I guess adults, as we would call them, uh, can enjoy kids stuff a lot more than kids can enjoy adult stuff, unless you know, yeah. they're 13 and edgy. But <laughs> yeah. But yeah. No, I mean, the backstory for these two, and especially Griffith, who we've, you know, we, we've seen through a variety of different lenses. Uh, at this point in the story, it's, it's harder to, I mean, yeah, Malcolm, let me, let me ask you, what's your, what's, your, what's your exit survey on Griffith as of episode 12? I want to hear that. Yeah, what do you think about, do you like him? What, what, what is, I don't like yeah. him. I want to say that right now. I don't like him. Um, he's slimy. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, slimy. Oh, dear. Yeah, I just like, you know, I think it's like any like he kind of he gives me like like those cult you know leader vibes. Um, oh, hundred oh, percent. He yeah, absolutely you, is. Yeah, and you should never trust a cult leader, in my opinion. And like, yeah, oh like yeah, in your opinion, <laughs> I feel like it's a yeah. general rule of thumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, some people would disagree because they're under the influence of a cult leader. Yeah, because right they're in a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm just uh, I'm just throwing out. You know, I'm just I'm taking some real. Uh, uh, real risky some, some stances. hard hitting stances with Malcolm. Yeah, I'll just say, yeah, hard hitting stances. It's the That's new just, podcast segment. I'm turning the heat on <laughs> myself. Um, it's called the heat with Malcolm McCloud. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, what uh, what degree of Fahrenheit will he get to this week? Um, <laughs> In Celsius. Cel- um, yeah. but, Celsius. But I mean, you know, whether whether you like him or not, do you feel you're understanding him, or at least kind of getting getting what? what he's going through, what his goals are, or... I don't know if I necessarily understand his goals, and I don't feel like we're on a path where his goals are justified. Um, Like, there's definitely this element of, like, a guy who has a particular idea, and he's going to force his idea onto other people, whether they like it or not. It's almost like, I don't know, he gives me a little bit of, like, Thanos vibes, where it's just like <laughs> that, that is, I'm, I can honestly say I have never heard that comparison. Um, this, is, this is why we have Malcolm on the from podcast. More, from more of an ideal, uh, ide, uh, ideological perspective. Now, maybe I'm super off base right now. Uh, I'm you know, again, I'm the guy who doesn't know anything about anime. Um, but like for me, it was more of like with Thanos, uh, it, it was mostly the ideology of like, well, if I wipe out half of the Earth. Uh, or not the half of the earth, half of the universe, there will be peace and there'll be order. And I, you know, things will be as they are supposed to be. And then, you know, all that stuff. But in this case, um, obviously that's how this has nothing to do. That has nothing to do with this, but I definitely don't know if he's, I don't feel he's justified. And so he, he I, definitely I like isn't benevolent. I'll put it like that. Benevolent. Yeah. And I also like, I, you know, you two have obviously seen the whole yeah. thing. You've been reading, so you have more of an understanding of like what his goals are. Uh, I feel like they're a little muddied in my perspective right now. I don't feel like. Um, you know, I, 
feel comfortable at least talking about it a little bit that won't spoil it in a way because it's he's uh he's he's pushing a childlike dream into reality and obviously since it's a childlike dream born of the fantasy of a child it's not going to fit the real world and so therefore there is going to be like pursuing that dream is going to be muddy it's going to be muddled it's going to it's going to require a great deal of sacrifice to do it and the big question uh i guess that should be asked or there's two questions that should be asked one how much is griffith willing to sacrifice for that dream there we have the imagery of the mountain of corpses to the castle, which I you'll see later on, I suppose. That's slight spoilers. Uh, but also what happens to him when that uh, ideology or what would happen to him if that dream crumbles? And that's something that Zod, Anosratu Zod brings up, is the fact that like, okay, if you are the true friend of this man, what's going to happen when his dreams die? And we 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 will see that, and uh, I'm going to apologize to you in advance, there, Malcolm. It gets you think that these episodes are rough. It gets rougher. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and again, uh, to bring back the Game of Thrones comparison, there it's funny because I was told there was a red wedding moment, and uh, there were multiple times in the show where it's like, okay, that must be the red wedding moment, and then then it actually actually happens and i'm and i was like oh god oh god it makes the red wedding look uh like a tea party yeah Um, it looks very yeah it looks very makes it look very polite we'll put it like that yeah but i mean that's the thing and you know i i know robert's been harsh on this show i do think again there this is me this is me re-watching a show because you know when you're binging a show through 25 episodes you're not necessarily if there's a filler episode, you check out your phone and that's it. But we're doing a podcast and discussing it. So we have to be a bit more critical. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the thing. So there are, you know, this is definitely the weakest batch of episodes. I hope maybe, maybe when we do the next batch, I will be like, oh shit. Oh shit. I was wrong. Um, but I feel pretty confident <laughs> that uh, a lot happens. A lot is going to happen in our next batch. Um, so yeah, I mean, Malcolm, do we even have a speed wagon? I feel like this, this, it, it, I mean, there, I mean, don't, if we, is it time to do a speed wagon or is there anything else we want to discuss before we think, really get there? I think Robert has done an excellent job. And I think we've, you know, qu- already questioned Malcolm on his views on Griffith. I think that's pretty important. I don't know. What else? What else is there beyond final thoughts? I kind of yeah. wanted to raise the question of suffering. Points, yeah. It's just this one. It's just this one. No, go ahead. I feel I've seen this in a lot of different things and it, this exists uh, in uh, Berserk as a whole and in a great deal, many uh, other things, but how do you guys feel about suffering in regards to character development, suffering and trauma? Because obviously this, this series, especially the manga adaptation uh, is chock full of suffering and trauma as character development. And that's a case with a lot of different things. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of writers rely very heavily on suffering as character development from a female aspect. 
you'll see in a lot of different series, especially in, you know, more popular, especially like, I guess the best example that I can think of right now is Tomb Raider, those Tomb Raider games where the character suffering is played off of as character development. And I'm not saying that Casca is in character. I'm not saying Guts as, you know, traumatized and victimized he is. But do you think that that sort of, do you think it's a crutch? I guess is is my question to you guys. I'll, do you think of suffering as a crutch in writing in storytelling? Yeah, I mean, I I can't bring up <clears throat> bring up specific examples because you know we're, we're um I can't bring up specific examples for Berserk because we are gonna you know that does get into spoilatory of what happens to a number of characters because this show this series manga show whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, yeah, we I mean, learn guts becomes the black swordsman. Yes. Yeah. And there's more trauma even after that point. Um, but I will say, um, to talk about other series, I think one series that I already touched on that did mishandle it was game of Thrones, which in game of Thrones adaptation, uh, famously made the character of Sansa. And I know the books aren't finished, so maybe it could very well happen to her in the books, but, um, they took an instance in the books where, it, where, you know, a character is raped in the books and then gave it uh, to Sansa because basically they needed some stuff to happen just for some narrative shortcuts. And then they kind of justified that as, Oh, this was a terrible traumatic event, but guess what? She becomes a cool ice queen, uh, yes queen lady boss after it. Um, I think game of Thrones is very uh, bad in that regard. You, if you know what I mean, D and D especially. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They when they, that. W- when they had more and more of their own original ideas being used, I think it definitely yeah. got terrible. Yeah, no, I mean, I think to answer or to your question, Robert, at least my interpretation of it is like, I think there's definitely stories like there's like, you see it in film and TV a lot. Um, I think maybe a lot more recently uh, of, you know, things where it's, uh, I would, you know, uh, what is it? Categorize, uh, categorize it as trauma porn. You know, like, there's just, like, those movies and stuff where you're just, like, this seems to only be made for suffering. And I do think it is a bit of a crutch. Uh, maybe it's more modern than it was when this was written and produced. Uh, to, like, you get, like, especially females characters sometimes have these, like, overly brutal backstories. Uh, like, to justify what they're doing in the present. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I think you, you see that. You know, I think there's a run of, like, I felt like Big Little Lies was kind of like that, where like all these characters had these like really horrible backstories, each of them, and then they would like all try to present as like we're fine, we're all like you know running, you know we're trying to we're doing the PTA thing, like you know parent teacher association thing at the like the school in the nice like California like beach town that the show was set in, um, but it's still a hard watch, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think sometimes it's a little excessive. Uh, I think the show probably gets into uh, a little bit of an excessive territory, at least in these episodes so far. It sounds like uh, it doesn't, they don't let off the uh, gas going forward. No, <laughs> um, they really don't. You know, and I think, you know, it's a it's a fine line because I think there's a certain point where like it almost starts turning off like readers and like viewers. You're just like, I don't know if I want to keep going into this. Like, because like, I think entertainment it's um for me is a mix of like escapism and also like a bit of a reality check. Um, you know, I, as a, you know, as a writer, I've tend to like 
go into a little bit more of a real uh, realistic uh, territory. Um, but, it, you know, I think at the same time, even as like a consumer, uh, there's definitely times where I feel like, you know, there's, there's content where I just want it to be like fun. Like I don't want it to be dark. Like, you know, like there's times where I just like one of the reasons I like Marvel movies is sometimes I'm just like, I just want to be entertained for an hour and a half. Like I don't want like the real world to be truly reflected in this. I just want like a superhero to beat up a bad guy who kind of has like an over the top, you know, plan for, you know, world domination or they got to take over a country or take over a city. Um, you know, I don't need things to get too personal. But then there's also times where I'm in the mood for like something that is a little bit more like hard to digest, you know, that, you know, is makes you kind of like think a little more heady and a little more heady, you know, like the truth is, is like, you know, from me, like a movie, like 12 years a slave uh, is, you know, I couldn't get, really get through that movie. And, you know, oh, I know it's, it's that's a, true, a tough one. Oh my I know God. it's a true story. It's, it's, and it also, it, that movie in particular caught, you know, kicked off the debate of like, who are we making these like these slavery? Who are we making for? them for? Yeah, I get. Yeah. And, and, uh, no yeah, one that... enjoyed that movie. Like in terms of like <laughs> in terms of like outside of it being like an educational. Well, lesson the, the and, point like, uh, yeah, the point wasn't the point. so much to enjoy it. But that's a broader discussion yeah. in terms of of like yeah. what's the there's, point of art and movies. There, but yeah, there's n there's no one. Uh, maybe there is someone. I'm not sure if I want to meet them, but I don't think there is anyone who's. Who's like watched Twelve Years a Slave ten times and be like, yeah, I really got you know. I've wa I watched that movie once. I think it's a fantastic film. It's a fantastic movie. Oh, it's a fantastic movie. Oh, yeah, it's right a, it's a fantastic movie. Ch uh, Chiwata Ejiofor is an amazing actor. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. But yeah, like I, I don't you know, think I, I would. Steve McQueen as a director, as a writer, uh, as you know. Well. But yeah, but it, 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 it does fall almost kind of in the range of exploitation, which is weird to say. I mean, but like the, the you know, there's a point like where the suffering, like you said earlier, it, it's for somebody to enjoy at that point. It is sort of, yeah, it's, it's porn in that way. Maybe yeah. not with 12 Years a Slave, but with a lot of other different examples. And I bring yeah, like this one is not the best example because it is a true story, which mm -hmm. makes it, I think, that much harder to watch. But I think you can, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like, there's, you know, other movies that, like, you know, have used, say, those kinds of narratives. And then you know, it's all fictional. And you're at that point, you're like, well, you're not even like, yeah, it gets, gets into that odd thing. I think it was like, weirdly enough, in the last like two years, there's that Janelle Monet movie. Where she was like a writer who gets like transported back to like plantation life, but then she like keeps going back and forth from like the present to the oh, past. Oh, that's right. I yeah, that. and I was like that movie. I was just like, why are we doing this? <laughs> what is this for? Wasn't there also a movie that came out just recently that was yeah. um, about slaves existing in like the sixties and seventies? Yeah, there was the Kiki Palmer movie as well. That you, right, it was Kiki and then Palmer. and they had the audacity in that movie to be like it's based on a true story. And I mean, like, it is. It literally is. Is it? Because oh yeah. That's literally a true story that there was that it would they're basically like Southern Mormons that 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 they were like imagine if there were Southern Mormons and they owned slaves. And uh, it wasn't a, even like they had it from the Civil War. It was it was one it, the actual case was that uh they got a guy in death 
a debt slavery. Oh, the- that, yeah. And it's like super exploitive. And then mm-hmm. it's not like slavery and. And they wrap his whole family and involve it, and then they sort of just imprison them. And since they're basically a cult, it's they 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 believe that the years it's a whole thing. But, yeah, it, that one but, it was odd, odd because it's not like it's yeah. I heard it was like based on a true story, but also it's like not necessarily like a specific story. It was sort of like a generalized thing. They mm-hmm. didn't get rights to anything. It was so like, pretty common. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're kind of like, oh, in the village. And like, I mean, yeah, let's just say, you know, debt slavery is a very real thing uh, that's happening all over the world. Very famously still in Qatar. Uh, normal yeah, slavery think- is happening all over the world still. Normal slavery is happening. You know, it's just, you know, we're still rectifying it. Um I'm assuming this is all going to stay in. <laughs> so, um, I will I've, been say. Try, I've been trying to find a way to get bring this back to Berserk. Because I, I can I feel, bring it back. I can bring it back. Well, I'll let, well I'm the one segueing, so let me say, okay. say my piece. Um, so what I think we can say, though, we have to remember, you know, this story, what, like, it, the manga was written in, like, 1989, and, you know, by a man in his 20s. So I think that's also a very good point, just to point out, you know. The preface, like, yeah. Yeah, you know, this is this is a man and again, he he died, you know, quite recently about, you know, Last a year. year or so, wow. Yeah, a year or so ago and the story is still not finished. So there is the other factor of, you know, what is the ultimate message of Berserk and uh to touch on it very lightly, Guts does get better uh at some point. Um who knows what the next events in the recent manga chapters uh may hold. But he does uh, mature as a person. I think as Kentaro Mira matured, and even he had said in interviews, some of these events he did feel, um, you know, were a lot. He was trying to shock readers. But, you know, as an artist who's writing an ongoing narrative that's, you know, going on for decades, you know, that's what happens. He definitely uh, did a good job, I think, personally. I think he displayed trauma. He displayed, uh, you know, the this sort of violence and scarring in a way that was ultimately progressive for the time like that shocking like like yeah like you'd mentioned shock material was very common because it sold books it 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 sold issues and so the fact that he went about it as sort of like progressive as he did and, and sort of kind of you, you don't just like, you know, Casca wasn't just a one off character that horrible shit happened to. And then she's gone the next issue. She, you know, she she stuck around and she's still around if spoilers uh, with uh, within the manga. You'll see what ultimately happens there, Malcolm. And I'm sorry in advance once again. <laughs> but but yeah, he had he definitely improved. and. I think ultimately we got to before his death, we got to a very cathartic moment that I believe is really, really satisfying and sort of a, almost a good send off for him as a, as a creator of this series. And it was just recently in the last few months that they began the series again, his various assistants, he, he had a, a general outline that he explained to them. So we might actually in our lifetimes see the end of Berserk because I know for a fact that some people, a, a good friend of a friend of mine's dad, well, I shouldn't say friend of a friend. He's 
cousin's friend that I am quite close to, his dad died before. This was one of his favorite series, and his dad died before he was able to see the end of it. And so the series is really important to, the, to many people, and I think... Uh, I I hope uh, you guys enjoy the rest of the anime. Mm. And and Malcolm, I really would recommend reading the manga. I really would. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think it's exciting that, and we kind of touched upon this in the last episode, but you weren't in the recording, uh, Mm. Robert, so (laughs) I might as well repeat it, Uh, is that uh, I do like this, the fact that like he had the outline in that people are now feeling comfortable and confident. And I'm sure, you know, probably was said in his will somewhere. It's like, these are the people, if I die before Berserk is finished, you know, I task with, you know, finishing it if they want to. And mm-hmm. I think the fact that they're willing to do it, you know, it probably shows a sign of how much people respected the the manga creator, whose name escapes me right now. Kentaro um, Moira. Yes. Um, and so, you know, and I think, again, with a, such a fervent fan base, like, I think people are going to be forgive, you know, are going to forgive it if it's maybe just not necessarily the exact same as like how the original creator was doing it, but like this is as close as we're getting and we're, you know, we're sort of seeing it to the end. I kind of suspect that if George R. R. Martin uh, passes before he finishes the books, there's probably something similar that's going to happen. <laughs> he's going to have, there's going to be sure. some, some writer that he's going to have outlines. He probably has outlines and then uh, some writer will be kind of tasked with like coming in and finishing it off. Kind oh, of what, yeah. like they did with Frank Herbert and Dune. His sons ultimately finished the series. I mean, yeah, exactly. my, my my understanding is his son is not a good writer, though. <laughs> That's the other thing. I think no. the fact that, like, I think I, we're, I not, think the, we're not dealing with like a, a Joe Hill, Stephen King kind of situation. <laughs> we're dealing no. here with like it's more of like, in my opinion, it's more of like George R. R. Martin passes away, and then a sci-fi writer, or not a sci-fi, but like a fantasy writer. Who, it's going to be on the um, up and co- it's like uh, like an up and coming one will be like kind of hand picked. What's to his name? Over. What's his name? He finished the Wheel of Time in the same uh, vein because he uh, he's that I, good of a writer. Brandon know, Sanderson. Yeah, I've I've heard that. I've heard the yeah. Wasn't he like an assistant of Martin's as well or something? I, at one point, I think he was. Yeah. Because I, I remember reading an interview with him and he basically explained how his why his process has uh, made him successful versus why George R. R. Martin's process has uh, not made him successful in writing re- the past decade, basically. Yeah, Brandon yeah. Whoa, Sanderson whoa. writes like nobody's business. He's worse than Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the thing with uh, George R. R. Martin is that, you know, he spent years um, not, you know, kind of toiling away in obscurity. You know, he was a TV writer in like the 80s and 90s. He's writing these short stories, all this thing. You know, he's doing, he's living, but he's not like living, living. And then, he, you know, Game of Thrones comes out. He starts getting that HBO money. And then all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, well, and he's getting cameos. Like people are like, hey, man, you want to like pop into like an episode of SNL? And it's like, yeah, of course. And so all of a sudden, you know, he's, you know, he's distracted. He doesn't Didn't have he like, show up to Soldier Boy's birthday party just recently. I feel like I saw an Instagram <laughs> post of that. Uh, you know what? I want to believe it, so I'm going to assume it's. Uh, he did. <laughs> he has oh, to. Like, like if he's hanging out with like uh, with rappers, I you know what? 
I get it. I get he why was, he not. was so broke for so long. Let him have the fun. I don't. I I don't have the same emotional connection to uh, Game of or the Song of Ice and Fire that I do to Berserk. But mm-hmm. I, you know. Anyways, uh, do we have a speed wagon? I mean, Malcolm, uh, your speed wagon last week was uh, Zod. Mine was um, the mercenary captain of Guts before uh, Guts meets Griffith. Um, this is, this has pretty limited characters. I'm not, most of the characters, the most of the new characters or temporary characters are not whom I would say are Speedwagon worthy, uh, in these no. episodes. I'd so say, I think, I'd say for me, the only one that's like close, but I, I don't even know if I want to give him like, uh, the power is like, uh, was it Adonis? Like Adon. Or uh, sorry, a Don. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Don would he, have been my speed wagon, but fuck it. He's he's not worthy, so I'm going to abstain from a speed wagon this an week. Abstained speed wagon, my lord. What do you do? You have one, uh, Robert? I, I don't think I do. Wait, uh, a big quick question though, uh, with your choice last week, when you say his his former captain of the mercenary team, do you, do you mean his dad Gambino? No, I mean like the pencil pencil mustache guy. Uh, oh. he, he, he appears very briefly and I was basically just like, you know, maybe if Gut stayed with him, things would have turned out better. I, since I, who knows at that point, he'd probably just die in obscurity. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will give, uh, I don't know if he, none of these characters, like you said, none of these characters really deserve a speed wagon. Can we have like a speed wagon light? I don't know. I feel like sure. bad for not saying anything. I'll, I'll even give you permission to include characters from episodes one to six, if you can recall them. Although I feel the answer would just be Zod because Zod is legitimately awesome. Oh yeah, Zod's great. Um, I don't. Know. I think I would just give the speed wagon to Foss because he's just that small of a character. He is bald. He looks like the Behilit, and he's just the second worst schemer in the kingdom. The worst, obviously, being Urius. <laughs> All right. Uh, final thoughts on Berserk episodes 7 to 12. I'll go first. Um, yeah, like I say, I have to be honest with my assessment, even though I do love Berserk and I do like this adaptation more than Robert. Uh, yeah, the first three episodes in particular were very br- brutal. They were very fillery. Even the uh, manga material just felt drawn out within those uh, within episodes 7 through 9. But yeah, it does pick up the backstories with, you know, uh, Casca and Griffith are very intense. The stuff uh, with uh, Guts' whole assassination of Urius and, uh, you know, his accidental murder of Adonis. That stuff is great. Griffith's whole speech to Charlotte is fantastic work. And yeah, uh, I hope that my excitement uh, for the next run of episodes that we're covering is uh, proven correct. Because yeah, Malcolm is touching on themes and it gets me excited. And uh, stuff does <laughs> stuff does come to fruition in the next batch. I will say, I okay. will agree with that assessment. A nice teaser, Malcolm. Final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. I think I'm I'm of the same kind of mindset. Uh, I thought the first, really, the first four episodes uh, were super fillery. They were really, um, uh, they were kind of honestly hard to get through. It was a bit of like a you know just a struggle. Like I kind of felt like I was like walking through like uh, sludge, just trying to like get through. But then, you know, I think in the last two episodes in particular, things starting uh, started to ramp up and I was starting to like, okay, I get it now. Um, you know, I think what you said earlier, Jack, about this kind of comparing to like 
week two of our Cowboy Bebop coverage, I feel it's very similar that way of like, yeah, you know, like for whatever reason, these shows that have 25 episodes have a tough time. Uh, yeah, they have a tough time uh, getting through this like early part of their like storytelling. It's almost like they don't want to get to like the good stuff too quickly, but they also don't earn like the filler either. So I'd say we're in like this weird spot. Um, but yeah, the last two episodes in particular were really, really good. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm back in. I'm, ba- I'm back. <laughs> You're back in and ready. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think my final thoughts are like, I, I, I mean, my, my point remains, this is an awful adaptation. There is no good adaptation, anime adaptation of Berserk. The fact that this is the best is extremely sad. And like you said, Malcolm, it, it, they don't earn the filler and they seem almost afraid to get to the, I don't even want to call it the good stuff. Um, <laughs> but in, in the end, it is an extremely important story to me personally. It is an extremely compelling story and even a poor low budget anime adaptation of it has, like you said in the last two episodes, a gleam there that should be appreciated. And those are my final thoughts. All right. Uh, Malcolm, where can people find you? Oh yeah. People can find me at Malcolm J. McLeod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Yeah, that's, you know, that's where you can find me. Uh, Jack, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at only real Jack M on Twitter and Jack Jack on Instagram. Uh, and uh, Robert, where can people find you? Well, I'd rather they didn't, but if you're a publicist, message Jack and we'll we'll, we'll figure something out. So, <laughs> D- DM Jack sounds good. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I need I need some more DMs in your DMs. <laughs> Uh, I I am now his assistant. That's the new job I've taken on, it seems. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, And yeah, as far as our podcast, you can find it uh, at IsThisAnimePod on Twitter and Instagram. Same handle. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, So next week, we are going to be... Malcolm will not be on those episodes because we're wrapping up Malcolm's run, of course. But you you will get to hear uh, um, Gurren Lagann episodes. uh, Fuck, I almost forgot them. I believe it's 9 through 15 that we're covering with Jordan Mitchell Love. So that's a really fun run. I know because I already recorded that episode because we record these out of order. So (laughs) there we go. I know it's a good episode because I did it weeks and weeks ago, as opposed to this one, which I did 12 hours before I posted it. So it's the beauty beauty of uh, podcasting. What, what is it? Is it, uh, has things been prepared or have things like, you know, whipping it up at the last moment? Uh, Sometimes it's it's better with a lot of preparation. Sometimes it's better with little or none at all. So hell yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's it. Uh, and Malcolm, I'm sure you've got one last thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. Remember, uh, this isn't it. I'm just, uh, I'm just vamping for time. Uh, <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, I got this. Uh, uh, and remember, uh, Guts's sword is bigger in his pants. <laughs>